Welcome to Two Travel Dads Podcast. Here we share our favorite destinations, travel tips, ideas for saving money, and stories from our adventures. Be sure to check out our show notes at twotraveldads.com slash podcast dash episodes. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Two Travel Dads Podcast. I'm Rob, and Chris is not with me today, but I've got my buddy Danielle. Hello. Say hello. Hey, Rob. Hey, friend. <laughs> and Danielle Desir, she is the founder of the Thought Card blog and podcast and Women of Color Podcasters group. Um, she's got a lot of fingers in different pots. So <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about a couple things, everything from um, her history in travel because she's kind of epic at her abilities to find amazing travel deals and really get to explore. Um, she's written a book about visiting Iceland, which is super cool. Um, and then she's actually got two other books and we'll dig into those momentarily. But yeah, that's a quick intro to Danielle. And my special thing that I'm really happy to share is that um, she has been, she actually has been instrumental in our lives, even if she didn't mean to be. And that she really loves to, um, tweet and blab about financial independence. <laughs> and, tweet and blab. <laughs> tweet and, and blab. Go on many rants. <laughs> yes. Well, and just watching that and observing and listening and doing my own research, she really helped to become a driving force behind our decision to become debt-free, to become mortgage-free. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah. So thank you for that because like, like I said the other day, it, you, you changed our lives, even if you didn't mean to. <laughs> and That's I'm amazing. Thankful. So, yeah. But yeah. So let's, let's talk about you. Um, let's talk about where you've been and where you're going. So, yes. um, how did you, how did you dive into everything? How did you dive into starting the thought card and writing books about travel, how to travel, all that? Yeah. So I started five years ago, reluctantly a blog. So I would say my backstory is that I never saw myself as a writer per se. I was more analytical. My family's a family of an accountant. So creativity wasn't something that I was like, you know, gun ho for, but I had a lot of thoughts, which is why I, my brand is called a thought card. It's really sharing all of my thoughts on, on travel and eventually money as well. And I've always had a passion for travel and money. Uh, but in the beginning, I was really having a hard time combining the two together because if you're a travel blogger, all you talk about is travel. And if you're a finance blogger, you talk about personal finance. So marrying the two together was very uh, complicated and I got a lot of like questions in the beginning. But I think over time, especially over the past like two, three years, people are really understanding that, okay, money is instrumental in our ability to travel. And there are definitely ways to um, eliminate some of those hurdles if you want to travel, but you can't afford it right now. So that's where paying off debt for me was really instrumental. I paid off 63K in four years of student loan debt. And I am on the journey of paying off my mortgage right now. So awesome. I'm very passionate about financial independence and really just sharing not only my travels and how exciting that is, but also how money impacts that in all spheres of your life. Um, and I recently, past two years, I've been podcasting, which I absolutely love. And I'm able to bring all those stories and those tips and all these creative ways people are traveling and managing their money to life in a different way than I did on the on blog. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it's interesting because I mean, us as parents, we get a lot of questions about how do you afford to travel with kids? And 
more often than not, the questions are about the money aspect because, I mean, life on its own is a financial burden <laughs> for so many. And it really was for us too. And so that's, I, I, I love hearing that you see the gap and you're helping people bridge that gap because, man, I, I'm not eloquent when people ask about that. And I have to point them to my resources. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for being one of those resources. I think it's awesome. So as far as the travel side and before the, before the Rona, um, when travel was abundant and there was travel deals and it wasn't looked down upon to travel because I feel like right now, whenever I, I say, oh, I work in travel, people automatically go, ooh, not right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and there's, there's a stigma the second that I start to either share or promote, hey, travel someday. Before that hit, how were you really making it so that travel was accessible to you? Because like you said, you got a mortgage, you've got life that happens. What, yeah. what, was, your, what was your biggest hack for being able to really conquer everything? I would say it's twofold. So, and this is like the pre-planning stage before I even like book a hotel and start really planning out a trip. So the first part is actually saving money. And what I would do is I have a travel fund, which is a separate bank account devoted solely to my travel savings. And I automate that process by every time I get paid, I put some money in that account. So it's automatically getting replenished every single pay period. That's really important because when you do this automation piece, it allows travel to become a line item in your budget and not an afterthought, which is really critical. If if you really want travel to become part of your lifestyle, including it in your budget is critical and automating it just makes it so much easier. So you never have to like remember to do it. It just happens automatically. And I kind of want to press pause for a quick sec. Sure. Um, So you said a word that I feel like so many people have forgotten that it exists, budget, (laughs) and that a monthly budget is actually a thing and that is is a tool and it's really key to success on so many things. It's just like a to-do list. It's a budget, but it's just, it's a to-do with money. So can you just real quick hit on what other aspects of life are included in your monthly budget? Yes, absolutely. Budgeting is not a dirty word. It's actually, I see it it as like a Google Maps of your money, right? So Google Maps will tell you what directions to take, if there's a roadblock, if there's, you know, traffic jams. That's exactly how I think of my budget. It's really a guide. And I don't see it as something that's restrictive because guess who's making the budget? Me, right? So you're the one dedicating, you know, you're deciding where all of your funds are going to. So I empower you to see your budget as a plan. So I really see my budget as a guide. It's a Google Maps of my money, similar to Google Maps. It'll tell you where to go, what what direction to take, what roadblocks and traffic jams. That's exactly how I see my budget as. And the beautiful thing about a budget is that you get to pick and choose where your money goes. No one else does, right? So you get to decide. So I try to empower my readers and listeners to see their budget as something that they have control over. And that's really a plan and something to help them to reach their final destination. The other thing that I do when it comes to budgeting is I net zero at the end of the month. So any income that I bring in minus everything, expenses, saving goals, anything that goes 
on in my finances at the end of the month is zero. So that makes the math super duper easy. I don't have to do a lot of like mental gymnastics. So once I net zero, how do I do that? So I have my really important expenses, like my mortgage. That's like a top line, top line item. And then I have actually like groceries and let's say all your bills. And then all the way at the bottom is my discretionary spending. So this could include like going out or fun money, just really basic stuff. And I leave this pot of money open. So I don't really like, you know, describe exactly what I'm doing. I just say, okay, you have $20 for this week if you want to play with it and just do whatever you want. So I think if you look at your budget as like monthly income minus all of your expenses and goals equals zero for the month, you'll be able to assign each of your dollars a job. And money has different assignments. You could use it to pay bills. You could use it to save money. You could use it to invest, give it to charity. So really think about every dollar you earn, where is it going to go? What bucket is it fulfilling? And once you assign that a job, that's really all the budget is. So thinking about that in terms of travel and budgeting for travel. So before the Rona, what was your next big adventure that you were planning? Yes. So before Rona, we were supposed to go to Madrid and that was where I was supposed to get engaged. And we actually got engaged in my kitchen. So, <laughs> which was adorable. Yeah. Roadblock. <laughs> it was cute. It was still cute. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. So, so with planning out a trip to Spain, in terms of budget, was it something where you sat down and you're like, okay, I know that we are going to be in Madrid. Maybe we're going to Granada. We're going to be spending this much on flights. Hopefully this is what our hotel is. Did you set it up and literally plan out those expenses and then integrate that into your budget? Or do you wait until it's closer to the date to really assign those costs? How, how do you manage budgeting for a trip down the road? Yes. So I actually would be one of the ladders. So the first thing I only pay for in the beginning is just the flight. And before Rona, I was really, really good at finding flight deals and the flight deal money. I would get that from my travel fund because again, every single pay period, there's money going into that travel fund. So I always had money for cheap flights in that account. Now, once I bought my flights, then I would start budgeting for that particular trip. And I would see, okay, how much does a hotel cost or my lodging and map out. Basically, I would use like budgetyourtrip.com to figure out what some of those costs are, like your food for a mid-budget traveler or some of the activities and expenses. So that's how I would, I would really frame my budget, but it's really after it's booked. So the first part is, again, having your savings. Second part is finding those cheap flights, getting to the destination. And then once I have that all settled, I start to map out and do some research to figure out how much things actually cost there. Cool. Okay. That, that, that makes more sense. Cause I was thinking, how do you budget for travel if you don't exactly know what no, where you're going? Exactly. Well, yeah. cause I mean, and, and we'll talk about Iceland in just a second, a place like Iceland. Oh my gosh. Food is so much more expensive than visiting us in Florida. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's, that's good to have something to, use as a tool to understand those before you get there. Yes, exactly. And your travel fund, because it's continuously growing, it's actually like a launch pad, right? Since you already have money in there, you can use that to bridge the gap and you could see how much money, more money you have to save over time. Yeah. So we see how you are, you know, looking for flights and stuff and you find your travel deals, you've got your budget that you're working from. 
And let's keep going with Iceland because you've written about Iceland and you're kind of an expert <laughs> in the field. So let's kind of segue into Iceland and what do you think is the best way for the not so savvy traveler to budget and plan for a trip to Iceland? Yes. Okay. So Iceland's actually one of the most expensive countries in the world. However, it's one of my favorites because nature is so abundant and there's so many free things to do in Iceland that you don't even have to spend money on to have an epic adventure. So I would say the biggest expenses when you go to Iceland will be activities, things to do, mostly transportation, to be honest, because a lot of the times nature's free in Iceland, like your waterfalls, your glaciers, these are all accessible. However, to get there, you have to figure out, am I going to take a bus, do a bus tour, or am I going to rent a car and uh, also pay for gas? And that's fairly, fairly expensive. So what I've done in all my three trips to Iceland, I've always booked bus tours and I do that ahead of time. So all of my expenses, like all my big trips are paid for ahead of time. And depending on the season, a lot of time these Icelandic companies will offer discounts. So they'll say, because it's winter, you know, and travel is kind of down during winter time, will offer you a discount. So it's really important to just do a little bit of research to figure out what exactly you want to do. And another place I would recommend to, to look at is Viator.com. That just aggregates all of the things to do um, and all of the companies are doing things. So you can kind of start to see what activities are on your radar. So that's number one for activities. And it sounds like also being able to book that on land transportation in advance is a great way to help you understand your budget and stick to it even before you get to the destination, which... I find that's my own personal struggle. <laughs> yes. I let and things snowball when I'm on the ground. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard, especially because like a lot of us were so busy. So taking the time out to plan a trip is not something that I actually enjoy anymore, especially when you're traveling so often. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I can relate. <laughs> honestly, yeah, There's honestly. when I'm building itineraries and I'm like, oh man, I got to incorporate this, this, and this. Uh, yeah, no, I get you. Well, cool. Yes. So that, So that's really, that's good to know that taking the approach of even booking your transportation around in advance is both a easy planning thing to do as well as really helps with the budget. So that's good. Do you think that, so just thinking about all that Iceland has to offer, what are maybe the top three things that you could book in advance that you would recommend? Yeah, my first recommendation would be to do uh, snorkeling or a silver tour. So snorkeling. You can see my face right now. I'm like snorkeling <laughs> in Iceland. And I, I love snorkeling and free diving. So I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yes. So Silfra is this amazing place in Iceland where the tectonic plates are shifting apart. And you have these glacial waterfalls. All this water is seeping through all these molten rocks for over 40 years. And they're all being deposited in this Silfra area and that means the visibility is nearly a hundred percent there so you can see so much underwater um just even the bacteria and the algae and just all these beautiful beautiful colors and that was one of the activities that i booked in advance because i saw that and i was like that's epic and um, i believe it was like close to 200 dollars. so that was a really really amazing um experience and they provided transportation to and from your hotel um, and even some snacks and stuff. So it was wonderful. It was very cold. So my face kind of like swelled up. 
because it was like freezing there. Is it but dry? Is it dry suit or is it wetsuit? Uh, what's the difference? Oh, then it must have been wetsuit. Okay. <laughs> wetsuit's going to be that neoprene, very tight to your body. Very tight. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it keeps you. It keeps you warm, but you're still wet. Uh, dry suit is going to be dry. Like it looks like you're wearing big blue and yellow garbage bags with belts. No. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was definitely, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I think we were definitely dry. It was super tight to your face and your body. Okay. We had fins as well. Um, that was just epic. And I think that's what makes me fall in love with Iceland is that there's these things you can do there that are so unique to Iceland that it's very rare to do anything anywhere else in the world. So that was really cool. Um, there are also lots of waterfalls um, in Iceland and some of them you can even walk behind a waterfall. So um, Gotafoss is one of my favorite waterfalls there. It's just really, really beautiful. There's epic hiking trails in Iceland as well. And I actually love riding Icelandic ponies. Well, they're, they're not ponies. They look like ponies, but they're Icelandic horses. Okay, I was like, oh, I horses. <laughs> Icelandic, they're Icelandic horses that look like ponies, but the proper term is Icelandic horses. And you could go riding in Iceland. So that was also epic. And these are all things that I booked ahead of time uh, to save me some coin. That's awesome. Well, cool. Um, so moving on from Iceland, because I kind of get the impression you could probably talk about it all day. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and what is, the, what is the name of the book that you wrote about Iceland? Yes, it's called Iceland Nature, Nurture, and Adventure. And it really shares how to plan an epic and affordable trip to Iceland. And I'll make sure to include the link to that in our show notes. Awesome. Cool. Well, you've so far helped me a lot understanding how you approach both budget and like a real life example of how you can travel that way. Um, let's jump into your second book that you've written. What's that one called? Yes. My second book is called Affording Travel. So just like we were just talking mm -hmm. about, just sharing the saving strategies that I and many other financially savvy travelers use to save for travel and make it a financial priority in our lives. And when it comes to affording travel, um, does your view on what the destinations that you choose, does that play into the concept of affordability, meaning you've got kind of like maybe a presupposition about what affordable destinations are going to be, or do you take the approach of places like Iceland, places like French Polynesia that are these very expensive places to go? How do you afford to get there? Is that, is that more of the focus or do you talk more about just general affordability? Just general affordability. So really how to carve out the funds in your life so that you can travel. Um, I actually decided to leave out destinations because I know that it fluctuates all the time, you know, so especially and especially depending right now. on your, especially right now, especially on, you know, depending on the currency. So for me, my focus was really how to budget for travel and how to budget to travel. So you have the funds to make that decision that you want to go and enjoy a destination. Awesome. And then your third book that releases in September, do you want to talk a little bit about that? And then I've got some more questions to reel with. Yeah, sure. So my third book is called Traveling with a Full-Time Job. And what I really wanted to do in that book is just to highlight all of the ways that even if you have limited vacation time from your nine to five job or traditional job from an employer, that it is possible to travel. 
not everyone has an ability to, to travel, be a nomadic, you know, be nomadic or be a remote worker. So finding the, the time to do this is super important. And secondly, I also wanted to highlight ways to be a productive and accountable worker so that when you are traveling all the time, your job isn't like, hey, Danielle, what are you, you know, you're always traveling and your work isn't getting done. So it's twofold, finding the time and also making sure that your work is done and you could still continuously grow in your career. And you started working on this book before the Rona hit. So you were still commuting into the city, right? Yes, I was. So do you feel like as you finally were able to work remotely, um, do you feel like that maybe has changed your view of full-time work and travel? Or do you feel like everything that you talk about in your book still very much applies to somebody who works remotely? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, I think it depends because some folks can work remotely on their own business versus working remotely for an employer is like very different or being a freelance remote, you know, remote employee is very different. So I think for me, it's still, it still stands in the book. I actually talk about how you can take advantage of your remote work to perhaps, you know, expand your weekend trip by actually getting to a destination on a Friday day, you know, and during the day while you're working remotely. Uh, but I still think that at the end of the day, we are tied to our nine to five jobs and we have a lot of responsibilities and that time commitment. And especially if you're working remotely, I found that it could even spill over past five o'clock and it's easy to kind of just continue on working. Um, so for me, the focus of the book is a lot of like, okay, if you have on average 10 vacation days a year, how do you make that 10 vacation days feel like 30? You know, or how do you actually expand it to 30? And I think people don't think about the weekends, weekend travel holiday travel, and all these other tactics that we use to just actually to make it all work. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, that sounds extremely helpful. And especially because I, I mean, for us, we just moved to Florida, and Chris still has his Monday through Friday job, which has always been remote. So we've always been really fortunate with that being able to travel and tack on those days, like you're talking to the weekends. But there are times where I feel like we need to really... Um, hone our remote working travel days um, so that we can take better advantage of that. So yay, I'm excited to take a peek at the new book when it's out yeah. and available. What is its actual release date? September 5th. September 5th, that's coming up. Coming up soon. Well, so um, a couple other things that I really wanted to hit on since you are a Northeasterner um, and we're talking about adding on to the weekends, what are some of your favorite or maybe the most overlooked places in your area, in the New England area, that you feel you could give a solid recommendation to for somebody who has not spent a lot of time in the Northeast? Like, I've spent lots of time in New York, but, you know, talk about Connecticut, Delaware, things like that. I, I skip over it. So yeah. what, 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 are, what are your best recommendations for building out those three- or four-day weekend trips? Yes. I live in Connecticut and it's actually something that after the Rona, I'm trying my best to actually do more exploring. Cause again, before everything happened, anytime I had off, I would just go off to Europe or like go, you know, out of the country. So that was the bougiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. I've never heard anybody say anything so bougie. I just, I would just go off to Europe. I just jet off. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I guess in terms of affordable travel, it's not bougie. So. <laughs> But that's, I think that's how abundant those deals were. Like I would literally book a $230 flight to Norway and it's cheaper to go to Norway than it was to go to LA. So <laughs> yeah, so it's, I'm just really curious to see how things are going to change now that, you know, things, things have changed a lot. So I don't know if the cheap flights, you know, is going to be something that we could take advantage of as, as much anymore, but I really like Philadelphia. Philadelphia is really, uh, it's smaller than New York, New York City. It feels, it's really charming. There's a lot of um, American history there. Um, and it's not that far from New York City. So it's about like two hours uh, from New York City. So I really recommend checking out Philadelphia. I am also really obsessed with uh, Martha's Vineyard. It's fairly popular. It's a fairly popular place. Again, a very expensive place as well. I feel, I like, just... I feel like Barack and Michelle hang out there. <laughs> they do. The presidents yeah. definitely, past presidents <laughs> definitely hang out there. I was looking at a um, Airbnb, just curious to see how much it costs. And it was like $300 a night for Airbnb. I was like, okay, this is, this is fairly interesting. But um, there are hostels. In, in Martha's Vineyard. So that's actually where I stayed when I, when I visit there. Um, so Martha's Vineyard is very, I really do like it a lot. And another one of my favorites is uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. So Norwalk has lots of like uh, breweries and just restaurants and it's not that far from me from here. So whenever we're planning like a date day or a date night, we go to Norwalk, Connecticut. And there's lots of other smaller smaller cities along the coast in Connecticut that you can really have a good time and, and enjoy. Awesome. Um, so a quick question, like looping back to Martha's Vineyard, um, hostel. I hear the word hostel and what I think is stinky college kids <laughs> backpacking around Europe, maybe not the safest environment, but I also know that hostels have drastically changed and that even though the, the stinky, the green tortoise is still around. Um, there are some really good actual like hostels for, I'm going to say genuine adults <laughs> yes. who want to travel. Can you tell us a little bit more about what does it mean when you go to a hostel? Yes. So I usually look at hostels when all of the other accommodation options are way overpriced. So for example, I went to Denver back in October and when I looked and I think I went during a beer festival time. So there were really either no rooms or the rooms were excruciatingly expensive. So I looked at a hostel as an affordable option. Now, because again, I am now an adult and I do less of like the whole backpacking thing, I prefer to look at either rooms that have less people, so four or less, or I try to book a private room. So you could actually book a private room at a hostel. And again, you could have your own, your own bathroom and your own living quarters. So there are lots of options. Um, however, I would say to really look at those TripAdvisor reviews to see what people are saying about hostels um, and to really make sure that it fits your needs. A lot of times hostels also offer like free breakfast. They have tons of activities that you can do like free walking tours or free activities. So I think of hostels as an affordable option, but also a place where I can be social when I'm traveling solo. So sometimes when you're traveling solo, you don't want to be alone all the time. So staying at a hostel could be a really good alternative for that. Yeah. And so that's good to hear that it is fun. It is clean. <laughs> it is community. And I think that's, that's the big thing behind 
traveling hostel style is that you are traveling to a community and that is communal living (laughs) but it's as communal as you want it to be so it doesn't have to be what you stereotypically think cool um well that's awesome and then something else that i thought would be nice to chit chat about i'm curious to hear your thoughts on the future of travel now that you know the rona has been going and i know here in florida we're getting ready for a second wave because people don't tend to follow guidelines and it's sad um so where do you where do you see things going and i'd say the immediate future being the next six to 12 months what do you see for maybe for yourself or for travel trends that you can kind of maybe predict because i've got my own thoughts (laughs) yes yes so i think like you mentioned earlier in the episode that there's a lot of folks who have strong opinions about travel right now. So if you're if you're wanting to travel, I think there's a, a bit of shaming going on, um, and which is fairly unfortunate because there are plenty of ways for you to travel safely right now. But personally, and respectfully, I, and respectfully, yeah, safely and respectfully. And I think for me personally, I've decided to hold off on any air travel until at least early 2021, because I'm just not 100% sure what the process looks like for air travel right now and how safe it is to travel um, by plane right now or even train. So if I am going to travel, I rather to drive you know, either take my own car personally or maybe rent a car, make sure I lice all it all up, make sure it's all clean. Mm-hmm. So. And I think a lot of people feel that same way is that I don't think the airline industry is sharing enough of the ways that they're helping to make folks feel safe for air travel. Do you have any thoughts on air travel? I do. So we actually, right now we have guests visiting us back from Washington and they had to fly in and their account was, you know, it was, it was awkward. It was kind of uncomfortable, but their flight, um, something that we've experienced with them and we actually we've got about a month and a half of nonstop guests Um, uh, kind of how it happened was they had their flights going from Portland to Orlando. And then they saw that Portland flight get changed from being a direct flight to getting rebooked and routed through Seattle because there wasn't enough people flying from Portland. And then that flight got rebooked again to a later flight because there wasn't enough people on that initial flight. And that happened um, twice. And that's also happened with some of our other guests who are arriving in a couple of weeks. They've already had their flights canceled and rebooked. So that's something that we've seen happening is that because people aren't traveling, schedules are changing. And so right now you, you got to be a little bit more agile and flexible. And then um, the impression that they gave me about the on-plane experience is it, it's very different currently. <clears throat> you know, you, they are, spacing it out so that there aren't people in middle seats. Um, I know that not all airlines are doing that, and I've seen pictures circulate on Twitter of what looks like a regular, busy, crowded flight. And I'm not cool with that right now. Um, but they said that, no, it was, it was great the way that they had people spaced. No meal service and snacks and stuff. It was very limited. Um, so it's, you're, you're seeing a lot more people bringing their own stuff. And, and since within airports, they're it's just like the restaurant industry right now. There aren't so many people dining out that they can support the staff to keep open. 
So airport restaurants, they're not all open. So it's not just like you can show up at the airport, grab your stuff to go and then jump on the plane. It's much more limited. So there's a lot more planning. So it's a much more um, self-catered experience <laughs> for flying. But in terms of like the circulating air, you know, there's, there, our guests had a healthy level of paranoia of, oh gosh, what, what if, what if this plane, you know, is recirculating air that still has, you know, droplets in it or something like that. But at the same time, my feeling is that of all the times to fly, this is going to be one of the healthiest because they are so conscious and working so hard to be able to keep open and not get their flight attendants and pilots sick. Um, it's kind of like flying after 9-11. And I, I hate to relate the two, but many aspects of travel then match that now. Um, flying after 9-11, a lot of new safety procedures were put into place that truthfully, I felt a lot safer flying after 9-11 than before. I hadn't flown a ton before, but afterwards it was like, great. I feel like there's zero risk because people are paying such close attention to every element of safety. And I feel like that's what it's like now. So mm -hmm. after talking with friends yeah. who've flown and stuff, that's, that's my impression. And I feel like that's going to continue solidly for a good long while, especially if this next wave comes through, I, I think it's going to slow things down again and airlines are going to have to work extra hard to ensure that people are comfortable and feel safe. Yeah. So. And I think that's, those are great insights to hear personally. And also I think that even though I'm giving myself like six months until, you know, I start to do air travel again, I'm not afraid to go out there and to go out and explore. So I'm making sure that I'm not fearful and but also to understand the risks like there are risks even if you go outside there are risks and making sure that you again like you're saying use yourself catering to your health needs to making sure that you have all the things that you feel health and um, safe and healthy like you know your mask and your lysols and your whatever you need uh but uh for me for the summer i'm focusing more on local travel I'm doing a lot of like exploring Connecticut, which I feel like I haven't had a chance to do. And it's been really hard because I have uh, two weeks mandated that if I don't use them at work, I lose them. And when this first, you know, when Rona first hit, well, that's I, was not having, cool. <laughs> I was having a hard time. I was like, oh my gosh, if I had two weeks, I would go to, to Europe for two weeks or go to, you know, Asia for two weeks. I would do all these things. And I'm just realizing that, um, you know, that it's very taxing to work from home remotely if you haven't done it 100% before. So sprinkling in some time to like rest and some time to explore the local area is not a bad thing. And I am definitely looking at opportunities for travel in 2021. And those flight deals are like popping up like all the time. So um, I think there will be lots of opportunities to travel in the future. It's about your comfortability if you want to go ahead and uh, take that first step. And you know, looping it back to where we first started, I think that right now, you know, th those of us who are fortunate enough to still have, you know, work during all this, um, gosh, since you can't travel right now, what a great time to budget and plan for that. So, yes. you know, put it all into practice right now so that when the opportunity arises, you can jump on it. Perfect. Well, cool. 
thanks so much for sharing your tips and just talking about life. <laughs> I love getting to have guests on on the podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do. So do you have any closing closing thoughts to share? Yeah, I think your wrap up was awesome. I definitely feel the same way. I feel like during this downtime, it's a good opportunity to see the destination that you want to visit in the future. And if you aren't carving the funds and you do have the funds available to do so, you know, start to save up a little bit. I actually booked my first trip to Paris on $25 every two weeks. And that's all it, that's literally how I did it. So there's no dollar amount that's too small to start stashing away for your dreams. Um, and that is all. That's all. That's awesome. What a great quote. Well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for being on. Um, we might have to do this again someday. I love it. And we'll have you on my podcast. Yes, absolutely. I'm always down for it. Always. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Have an awesome day and we will talk to you later. Two Travel Dads podcast is written by Rob and Chris Taylor and produced by Rob Taylor in Suquamish, Washington. If you would like to be on Two Travel Dads podcast or sponsor it, please visit us at twotraveldads.com slash work.